My mom's dad was a Freemason. I used to hear it all the time growing up, but never really paid attention, you know what I mean? He passed when I was still a little girl, but he's very much alive in stories. I always ask about his Freemasonry and whatever secrets my mom and her siblings could divulge, I'd eat it up. My mom and her sisters were part of another Masonic affiliated group called Job's Daughters. And their tales consist of initiation rites and flowy dresses. I love asking about it because there's almost always an intermission number. Christian soldiers marching on to war with a cross of Jesus pulling on before Christ our royal master leads against our foe onward on to battle we march like that air. We have turns. We have turns. We have square turns. With our gown and our cape. Oh, me, my cape. As they recall their glory days as Job's daughters, and they're thinking, do they even know what happened to Job's daughters? The book of Job is all about not knowing why things happen, but trusting God through it all. The book starts off by laying out the foundation that Job was hashtag blessed. He was blameless, upright, God-fearing, shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. He had loyal servants, and from what I read in Job 1 verse 4, his children liked to hold house parties during their birthdays, and they often drank. And after these feasts came to pass, Job would sacrifice a burnt offering for each one of them, thinking, hmm, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Hashtag blessed. And I mean, who wouldn't be proud of blameless, upright, God-fearing, and evil shunning, right? So when God asked the devil one day, where have you been? And Satan answered, roaming around earth, God asked about Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him, God says. Can you imagine being in Job's shoes? Like God beaming with pride because of someone so faithful. And I started to really think about that. I mean, I wonder what God would say about me. I mean, what of me and my faith? So Satan says in Job 1 verse 9, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. 
This bitch, Satan, put forth this theory that Job only worshipped God because everything was going so well for him. And the funny thing is that in this conversation, the next thing that happens is that God allows the adversity to befall Job. He goes, very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. I mean... Can you grasp how unreal this conversation is going? God and Satan, good and evil. It's a conversation about human dealings. So what happens to Job? One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger comes in and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. I mean, there's a pattern going on here. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house it collapsed on them and they are dead and i am the only one who has escaped to tell you that's job chapter 1 verse 13 to 19 so job is crushed he is devastated but despite it all he still says the lord gave and the lord has taken away may the name of the lord be praised and then one day, God and Satan are at it again. Where have you come from? Oh, just been roaming around earth, Satan says. And again, God speaks of Job and how his integrity still remains intact despite the suffering inflicted on him. Skin for skin, Satan says. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. Do you know what? God allows it. Very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life, God says. So now what happens to Job? Job suffers some more in chapter 2, verse 7 to 8. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. So I think it's safe to say that things aren't going so well for Job, right? He's really downright miserable at this point. So his friends Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar hear about the unfortunate events. They're three friends of Job, and they make the trip to him to try to console him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. And this is the part of the book where things get interesting. So Eliphaz is trying to convince Job that based on his experience, no one good suffers. However, if you do sin... God will punish you, and all you have to do to make it right is to repent for your sins, and you will be relieved of your burdens. Bildad 
is trying his best to convince Job that the sooner he repents for his sins, the sooner the suffering will end. Zophar tells Job he's hiding even graver sins from God, and that's why he's still suffering, so he should confess and repent. And there's another character in the book of Job who pops out of nowhere. His name is Elihu. Young Elihu is like a bystander who'd been eavesdropping on the conversation, but he's crucial to this story. So he drives the nail halfway by telling Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar that they've done nothing but make matters worse. Instead of comforting Job, they've condemned him even more. So there's a powerful line about advice and dispensing it in Baz Luhrmann's 1999 spoken word track, Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen. Originally, an essay written in 1997 by Mary Schmick for the Chicago Tribune, and it goes something like this. Be careful whose advice you buy, but be patient with those who supply it. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Dispensing it is a way of fishing the past from the disposal wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts, and recycling it for more than it's worth. I feel like our human experiences are all different. I realize I'm never going to be my son. I am not my daughter. My husband and I grew up differently. Even my brother and I are different. Everyone is different. And the best thing that we can all do is just be there for each other to feel a little bit for one another, to be the love that we wish to have. There's a lovely part in my cousin Issa's upcoming audiobook entitled The Ocean Never Looked So Blue that I wanted to tie up to this episode. In her list of reasons why she still believes in God, number four is love. And I quote, Love is not human. It is holy. It is bigger than our flawed, finite selves. I can't help but think that it has to be rooted in something larger and greater, in something infinitely good. All that love is, and all that love should be, sounds so much like a God thing. Here's what the book of Job teaches me about salvation. It's that God has ways that humans cannot decipher. Which I think, by the way, is so convenient for a religion. If any misfortunes befall you, lie. Trust God. But it's also a great thing to live by day by day. I learned from my mother-in-law that in everything that happens in your life, make it a prayer to God, some form of worship. Now, that doesn't mean that you force a smile when you've just lost a loved one. I took that to mean that even in suffering, do it for God. Because mine is a story that's already been written and the best thing that I can do is to react gracefully to every single miserable, mundane, and enchanting moment. Which of course is much easier said than done, but maybe that's one of the things my salvation will be based on. How I reacted to things that happened to me most, especially the difficult times. How I played the cards that I was dealt, you know. I want to jump to a verse in the book of Matthew that really ties in beautifully with Job's story, and it's this. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Isn't it funny that the one thing that we humans all lose eventually is our life? We all die eventually. That means we are not permanent. We aren't here forever. So we really shouldn't be attached to anything here. Not your dog, not your money, not even your family members. If there's anything we learned in the past 10 months, it's that we are so weak as a people. I really must read to you Job chapter 38 because it's when God finally replies and shuts everybody up with his 52 questions. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You've lived so many years. Have you entered the stone houses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? For whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who gives the abyss wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? 
Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? I gave it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for any green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with a harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to it? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? And finally he asks, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. In the end, Job is restored. In the last chapter of the book, God gives him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters which I now believe to be the real reason why mom and her sisters are called Job's daughters, by the way. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years. So yeah, be careful whose advice you buy, but be patient with those who supply it. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Dispensing it is a way of fishing the past from the disposal, wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts, and recycling it for more than it's worth. So, do your own damn thing. But trust me on the sunscreen. This has been saved. (laughs) 